I want to share with you some things about Pentecost on this Pentecost Sunday uh, in a way that reflects, I think, an even truer sense of the author's original intent, Luke's original intent. So whatever your doctrinal perspective is on this subject of Pentecost, I want to ask you to put it aside for about 39 minutes. Let's put our library and seminary books aside for a few minutes. Let's not split doctrinal hairs and let's look for and look closely at what the heart of God is on this very text, Acts 2, 1 through 4. I would deeply appreciate that. I cannot pastor you on this subject if you do not give me some leeway uh, to look at this in a way you've probably never seen it before. I've also, over the years, and this is not for everybody, for somebody, over the years I've, I've had the occasion to minister to people from all different backgrounds. A lot of prison ministry, uh, ministry to, to people who are struggling with uh, same gender attraction. Uh, I come from a, a, a background of addiction myself. I minister to a lot of people who are, are coming out of addiction. I understand uh, what it means to minister to people on the streets. I have experience with young people, and I have experience ministering to people who are drug dealers themselves. People who are sitting here this morning, maybe just trying to get past the drugs. Whatever the case may be, what, what I'm about to share with you is essential. We cannot come up in our faith and rededicate ourselves to Jesus Christ time and time again, which is great, and acknowledge the need for a rededication with also, without also realizing a need for a continual filling of the Spirit. So let's talk more about that, and let's get down to what really, really matters on this subject. Amen? All right, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There it is. What a great sentence. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pentecost, what is that? For maybe you don't know. Pentecost really was the name of a feast. It means 50. The name of the feast was the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, seven weeks from uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 50 days. Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, walked the face of the earth for 40 days of those 50 and appeared to over 500 people and did all kinds of things in keeping with his ministry before his crucifixion. So Pentecost means 50, seven weeks. It's a celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest, okay? It's a big deal. It ha just so happens that Jews today are celebrating the Feast of Pentecost today with Christians. It doesn't happen very often. It did this first time. So what happened in the 10 days? That's what we need to be addressing. What happened in those last 10 days after Jesus had ascended the throne. What happened in those 10 days? Well, you see here, it says, <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Whatever happened during those 10 days, 
was preparation for Pentecost. Ten days of preparation. So we know they were together. Said another way, the Holy Spirit ministers in a context of togetherness. Unity. Uh, Psalm 113, how good and pleasant it is when brethren brethren dwell together in unity. If the church doesn't have unity, the Spirit of God doesn't feel at home. You might be wondering how the Spirit of God feels about what's going on in the world today, in the church today. We have to be together. Together is a foundational preparatory requirement for the Spirit of God. Why did I wax on and wax on last week about the blood of Christ and Jesus, his wounds were healed physically, but when he came out of the tomb, he still had work to do on his relationship with Peter. You see, we have to do the work when it comes to togetherness, reconciliation, mending relationships. Those relationships not mended, we don't have access to the power of God like we need them. I, unfortunately, have had the opportunity to minister to far too men, too many men who have been unfaithful over 30 years to their wives. And when that relationship is, that marriage relationship is compromised, it is difficult to get the Spirit of God to minister in power to that couple because of the division. Togetherness is of the utmost importance. This is why I I said this this past week, you've got to go out, as do I, and reconcile with anyone you have an issue with. It needs to be an issue of forgiveness, of reconciliation, even even doing the work of letting an abuser go. Something has to happen togetherness. In that last 10 days, these people wept together because they lost their best friend. They lost a loved one. They, they had to share stories and, and accounts and remembrances of remember when he said this or when so-and-so played a joke on so-and-so or remember when we laughed around the campfire or remember when he healed that person. They had to recount things. They had to remember things. They had to share their misery, share their concerns, share their worries. They had to be fra- afraid together. Their, their lives were in danger. They had to have some trepidation. Not the, and, and then they shared together the unknown of what would happen next. They had become so familiar with, and that's what family is, familiarity. They became family because they were so familiar with what it meant to do life together. You want your church to be familiar to you because familiarity gives birth to family. And once you've got family, you've got togetherness, and once you've got togetherness, you've got the anointing. A church split, a church divided, the nonsense that I, I happened to walk into after, that was not the environment that's, that you want for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, that happens on a corporate level, it happens on a family level, it happens on a marriage level, but it has to happen also on an individual level. Are your hearts divided? Are your minds divided? Is something dividing you between you and Christ? That togetherness has to happen. And when that togetherness becomes a reality, so too does Pentecost in this church. Togetherness. That's what happened in the last 10 10 days. They became, by sharing their stories, their burdens, their fears, their confusion, their regrets. I wish I would have 
I never told him, I wish I had done it differently. I woulda, shoulda, coulda. They shared all the woulda, shoulda, couldas. They were, had everything in common and they were in one place. They were in one accord. They were the ideal vessel at that point to receive Pentecost. They were the ideal vessel. Now get, get, get from God's perspective here, he's trying to birth the church, man. This is huge. They're the perfect vessel. Are we, are you, is your household reconciliation? Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent, some translations say rushing wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wow. The blowing of a violent wind, a mighty rushing wind. That word rushing is interesting. <clears throat> it means uh, not what you think it would mean. It doesn't mean like, uh, like he, the Spirit of God just trotted in there at full speed, you know, in fourth gear, zero to 60, boom, there he is. No. That word rushing means uh, to bear up, to endure. Um, it almost doesn't fit. There is this, uh, this, uh, this meaning of uh, expediency and force and speed. I mean, it is a rushing thing. It is a sudden thing. But with it also is this idea of endurance and bearing up. So here comes the Spirit of God in this context of togetherness. Whoosh! like a mighty rushing wind, and now, not only in their togetherness do they have the power to do what God has called them to do, because he didn't want them doing it without the power, that's why I told them to wait. Wait here, and you will receive dunamis, power, from on high. Their context, their timing was right. The feast was there, the day had come, they were reconciled, they were together, they shared, they loved each other, boom, here comes their endurance. The, the, the Spirit of God comes in like violently, suddenly, rushing in, and boom, they're bare, they have the, now the ability to bear up that they didn't have a few minutes ago. What do I mean? They couldn't bear up about the idea they couldn't go to the convenience store without being, wondering if they're being followed by some Roman soldier trying to kill them. They had Boston accents, like Galileans with accents, and they, they were easily recognizable. People had seen them with Jesus. They were afraid on some level that they're going to be taken out. Now they have, by the Spirit, this endurance to bear up under pressure. And it came in like a rushing wind. Amen. Just what they needed, when they needed it. Revelation 1 and 15 says, His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like a sound of rushing waters. Robust, forceful. Here they are, one moment thinking that Jesus has abandoned them, he's gone, now they're all alone, vulnerable, don't know what they're going to do, and then whoosh! Confidence, endurance, integrity, togetherness. And it's like, it's like standing next to the river on the gorge to Franklin. You can hear nothing else but the water itself, the rushing water. The very same spirit that brooded over the abyss in, in the creation scene. That, that took chaos and made order of it. Holy Spirit brooded over the surface of the deep. Now here it is. The very spirit has come like a mighty rushing wind. And they've got this wherewithal, this hope to do. 
You can't have a life of drugs. You can't have a life of addiction. You can't have a life of confusion. You can't come back from a life of unfaithfulness without an enduring assurance that you could bear up under your own self-imposed pressure and be together with the people of God. And if you don't, you will not overcome. You will not overcome apart from the Spirit. That's why he said, wait here. Some of you had just come to Christ. You're still trying to figure this out. I'm watching you, actually. By the way, I don't miss much. The time has come, and now is. And some of you who are new to this whole new life in Christ are going to have to resign yourself to the fact your success will no longer be based on your own level of commitment, dedication, or discipline. The very things, or the lack thereof, that depict the old life we're running from. When I ask you to come to this altar today, I ask in love and I ask that you come. We must have the rushing mighty wind in our life to overcome the very self-imposed consequences we've created for decades. They saw what seemed to be tongues, some of your translations will say cloven, of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Well, here it is. The reason... <clears throat> The reason these people had cloven, cloven means divided. It means uh, multiple, like cloven hooves. They were of one, but the tongues of fire, the cloven tongues of fire, were in that particular instance used for the interpretation of language, to speak and be heard in a different language. I know there is a prayer language out there, I know that. I know there is a speaking in tongues at a corporate gathering that must have an interpretation. That's not what this is. Let's stop splitting doctrinal hairs about speaking in tongues. This thing isn't really even about speaking in tongues. We have made it that because we're not smart. <laughs> we're missing the point the point is the empowerment. The, the point is the bearing up, the endurance. The point is the birth of the church. The point is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church around the world. That's the point. We've made it about speaking in tongues so that other people of other languages will understand what we're saying. I don't even come across people to speak another language. Well, that's not true. The other day I had 30 minutes of trying to speak Ninth grade Spanish to a bunch of guys that came on the property to try to do some work. And when I got to the word garden, hardine, I knew I'd used up most of my vocabulary. I wasn't getting anywhere. Anyway, they saw what seemed to be tongues, cloven of fire, and separated and came to rest on each of them. The point of this passage is not tongues. Please don't make it tongues. It's not. The point of the passage is fire. 25 years ago, I would have said tongues. Now I'm saying fire. Why? This is what's really being said here. 
Fire, by definition here in the common Greek, is, is consumption, to be consumed. We're talking about a consuming fire here. We're talking about purity and holiness, okay? That's what we're talking about. When the fire that comes upon these people, whether it was literal or not, doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is we're called the holiness and purity. There's a kind of gospel being proclaimed today which conveniently accommodates itself to the spirit of the age and makes no demand for godliness. Duncan Campbell. There is a gospel being preached. It is a gospel of grace and all of that, but we can't abandon grace at the expense of holiness. We're called to be different, live different, act different, talk different. We're called to say certain things and refrain from saying others. We're called to a purity, a refinement. We are a people that can't just go out there and regurgitate everything we hear. We can't read something on the internet and become a parrot for it. We don't even know if it's true. We're the people of truth, but we're just, some of us are just parroting and repeating everything we read and hear. It's garbage. We're called to be a refined, purified people that are not of the world, that are set apart, that have something to say with the way that we live in addition to what we have to say with our mouth. Fire is the issue. Now, if you really study fire, which, by the way, how convenient, I have done that. I didn't realize this. There's about seven or eight different colors of fire. This is really, really weird. Starts with carmine, red, orange, yellow, yellow, green, goes on. For my simple mind, let's say there's three colors. The first is yellow. Start a fire and flames are yellow. Fine. What does that represent in the world today, in the church today? Someone with a yellow fire is kind of new to the Holy Spirit. Not the hottest flame, but much hotter than they've ever experienced before. Uh, they may approach it with a little naivete, an incredible amount of excitement about the Holy Spirit, experiencing things of God like his presence or understanding something that was done in the Word or uh, the coincidences that give us goosebumps. By the way, goosebumps are not in the Bible. I hate to ruin your day like that with that. Whatever, goosebumps are fine. So the yellow, the yellow fire is the excitement of experiencing something new of God. It's got its own level of heated passion. It has a purpose. It warms people's hearts. Our hearts are warmed. I see this happening with people. I never knew God was like this. I know, you know, I'm new to the faith. I'm excited or... I was in my bedroom last night, and the Lord just came and filled my room, and I was just, it was just the presence of God and your understanding prayer. That's yellow flame. And it's fun. And it's great. And if you're a new believer, it could be a little obnoxious. But the rest of us pretty much put up with it. It's exciting, though. It's new. It's fresh. God's new and fresh. Yellow, yellow flame. The problem is we take this Pentecostal experience and we make it an isolation, an isolated event. If we're really young, we make it a notch in our belt, like we somehow accomplished something, like we can take credit for this. Yeah, okay. And we want to tell others, be excited. You should be excited about God. You should be excited about a new friendship with God. That's the way it should be, yellow flame. Red flame, heating up, a little hotter. 
The fire may even be burning off some dross in our own life, causing us to make different decisions, say different things, grow, be sanctified. We're being sanctified at this point. And it's less about the isolated event. It's less about the experience, and it's more about the one who is we are encountering. There's maturity there. I see people grow through this, these phases all the time. And then you get to the blue flame. Woo. The blue flame's a little different than the red. In the red, you come to church on a Sunday, and you come here because you know you're going to be replenished on some level. There's going to be some uh, check, the, let's stop the pattern of the previous week, let's call a timeout, let's pause, let's regroup for a new week. We're going to experience something of God, we're going to hear his word, we're going to worship, we're going to be with these people we're supposed to have something in common with, and we're going to be better prepared for the week. By Wednesday, it's lingering Thursday, uh, the flame's going down. By, by Saturday, we might have to blow on the coals, and by Sunday, we're, we're, we're back again. That's red. Then blue. The hottest flame. Ooh. It's, it's what's heating your house up, those hot coals. It's perpetual. It's not isolated. It's ongoing. And you realize that I'm not looking for an experience anymore. I'm looking for a person. I'm not looking to hang out with that person momentarily. I'm looking to live with them. I'm looking for the perpetual encouragement, advocacy, Counsel, wisdom, clarity, power, anointing of the Holy Spirit that is Pentecost. When we split our doctrinal hairs, many will say, Pentecost was for the first century believers, as was healing. Well, if that's the case, I don't really have much to share with you because what I'd have to say in that doctrine is, well, to be honest with you, just hang in there. You're going to die soon and go to heaven. I don't know how you're going to overcome much of anything. I don't know how you're going to endure and bear up under pressure. And that sickness you have, get used to it. But there's hope. Hang on. It'll come. You'll die soon. Everything will be okay. Well, that's eternal life starting at the point of death. I'm here to preach to you eternal life starting at the point of salvation. And in between salvation and the point of death, you actually have something to say to people who are perishing. You have a way to live in front of others who are looking for some sort of example. You can move from red or yellow to red to blue. You can become a warming agent to cold hearts. You can melt frigid, bitter, hurt, hearts. Blue. And this Pentecost isn't something you read about. It's not something you long for as an isolated event. It's a perpetual reality where you're not asking God to fill you, continually fill you, perpetually fill you, ongoing investment in you by the power of the Spirit. We don't need an occasional every five to six weeks, every four or five years, or we don't need to measure one another's uh, intensity of our passion and zeal and our wisdom and our clarity and our fellowship with the Spirit, the paraclete, based on whether we speak in a tongue that some other language can understand. We'd all have to move somewhere to see if we could speak in tongues. 
This particular speaking in tongues is not about what the other speaking in tongues is about. This is about, this is about those people that were there going to leave Jerusalem. Forget that for a second, please. What we need to talk about is how does this perpetual infilling of the Holy Spirit take place in a believer's life? Now we're getting somewhere. The fire. He says, Jesus, as long as we're bringing him into this, out of you will flow rivers of living water. I only know of one river that wasn't perpetual. And that was the one that Joshua crossed with the Ark of the Covenant that stopped. Every other river keeps going. I planted grass seed in a field two weeks ago, excited it was going to rain twice that week and maybe get the seed to kind of like, you know, get going. $500 worth of seed. You go anywhere on River Street down in Savannah right now, you're going to see grass growing about that high. Every seed, every, I think there was one seed that stayed here on the mountain. Perpetual flow. It's part of our, our relationship with God. You know, Jesus is praying that we understand the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit, we continue to receive the Holy Spirit, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why not daily? How about daily instead of once every 2,300 years? Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's a continual thing, repetitive thing. It's a way of life. If your prayer life is not inclusive of baptism in the Holy Spirit or infilling of the Holy whatever you want to call it, make up your own name. It doesn't matter as long as God knows what you're talking about. And we are together, vulnerable, open, and really genuinely concerned about reaching other people. Somebody get out of the way because the Spirit of God is coming. What happened in that 10 days? And how do you live a holy life? A holy life is like sunflowers. How many people like sunflowers? I like sunflowers. Why? Because when they grow up really tall, and everybody can see them, especially me, and they, they turn like this. You ever watch them during the day? They turn. They, what do they face? The sun. A holy life is just a life that's bent towards God. You and I need to be sunflowers. We need to face God in the morning and look for him in the afternoon and follow him into the evening. Look for him in the morning, follow him through the afternoon and wait for him in the evening. That's a holy life. A holy life is central. The centrality of one's life is God. For, for that person to live as Christ truly and to die as gain. Christ is the sum total of the object of our affection. We fix our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and like a sunflower we just move. Basically 180 degrees every day. Now, a holy life wants to please God. There's a lot of people who want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they forget the word holy. The most dangerous person on the face of the earth is a 16-year-old who's baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've seen this they are afforded the opportunity and the platform to speak into so many people's lives immediately with such power, with such authority. If only there was that hunger. 
We're bent towards God and we want to please God. And the Spirit of God, here we go. This is where some of us fall off the bus. Here we go. The Spirit of God controls our, I'm going to say it, desires. Shoot. We don't get to lust after whatever we want. The only reason you would lust after anything you want is because you have an ignorance of understanding the beauty and the splendor of the Spirit of God. There is such a disproportional dichotomy between those two realities. The person of the Holy Spirit in fellowship with him and the lust of the flesh, the lust for power, the lust for money, they're not even in the same league And what has happened is we've made stupid doctrinal things like speaking in tongues get in the way of people even considering the disparity between these two realities, the lust of the flesh. It's weak. I've spoken to too many men over the years. The affair is over. Or the sin's already committed. And then the reality sets in. Because we have no real experiential understanding of this relationship with the Spirit, one other affair isn't going to hurt. It's already done. This is the mindset. There's three enemies out there seeking to destroy you and me. The first is the world the system, the agenda. The second is our own flesh. And the third is the devil. We have more problems with the world and its influence on us than we care to admit. We are far more prey to our own lust of the flesh than we truly want to admit. And the least problem of the three is the devil. Why he gets all the credit, I don't know. Because I guess if he gets the credit, on some level, we don't have to take the responsibility. The Flip Wilson Seminary of Doctrine. Don't laugh, you'll age yourself. (laughs) What happened in those 10 days? On the, on the last day, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues that the Spirit enabled them. You see it right there. There it is. Like divine, <laughs> this is great, divine enthusiasm. I think God gets such a kick out of this. The enthusiasm, the, the root of enthusiasm is Theo, which is God. So if you have enthusiasm, have it for something godly, not something ungodly. He might get offended by that. Divine enthusiasm. Effervescence. Now they can expect things. Now they're not victims waiting to be arrested. Now they're really gung-ho, man. They got a mission. They got a purpose. We got to go out. We got to do everything. We got to take everything he taught us. All right, who's going to write? Who's going to write the gospels? Who's going to record this? Who's going to investigate? Who's going to get these eyewitnesses? Here we go. We got a mission. Now we've got the Spirit of God helping us, and we're carried along when we write. I'm a fisherman with a third grade education. It doesn't matter. I can write the New Testament carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
I'm exaggerating. The embodiment, the vessels of God. That's a church right there. That's a church. What happened on the 11th day? I don't know. But it wasn't boring. There was something cool there. It was the 50th day. It was the 50th day. What does that mean? Jubilee. Whether they celebrated Jubilee or not, it doesn't matter. What does Jubilee stand for? Freedom, celebration, forgiveness of debts, freedom from slavery, freedom from oppression, freedom from whatever you, addiction, freedom from this, freedom from that, freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom, 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 freedom. We're talking about speaking in tongues so another person in another language can understand them, and we're discounting the very ongoing perpetual reality that God wants to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit day in and day out so that what? We can have a sense of freedom, a sense of boldness, a sense of reconciliation, a continued sense of togetherness, of unity, of love, of power, of might, of zeal. You don't have to discipline yourself to pray anymore. You don't have to discipline yourself to read. You don't have to beat yourself up when you don't. You've got the paraclete, man. You've got the counselor. You've got the advocate. You've got your defender. And you're perpetually infilled daily to live out the life he's called you to live. No frustration you're not doing it because he's doing it through you. Waiting for it. Thank you. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced. Before I read this quote, let's bring it into 2022. It was just said in the media. It's just been written about by uh, Andy Stanley. It's fresh on the minds of the media, the world, the church, that the evangelical church is in a crisis. A crisis because of political issues, political division, division in the church, division on social justice, division on this, division on that. People are acknowledging the churches are half full, Everybody's panicking. And we should, if the world has more power than the Spirit, the media has more authority than the Spirit, what's printed on the internet and posted on the internet is more powerful than the Word of God. We should be scared out of our pants. And some will be. Because when I'm telling you about the Pentecost experience on a daily basis, people aren't talking about that. They're not preaching that. And they're not preaching that because they're not preaching the Word. The kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. Everybody and their mothers worried about how many people are sitting in the pew versus how many people are online. They're usually about the same amount. Forget all that. We take the bait so easy the lure in the water dangles and it's shiny and it's brilliant. 
and it bases your success on whether you attend a service, which, by the way, the Word says you should do. But it gets us off of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is the point the whole time. Get these people so wrapped up in themselves, the world, some cause, divide them as much as you possibly can, get them fighting over stupid issues, and then what we'll do, we'll make sure they really are worried about speaking in tongues, then what we'll do is we'll totally divorce them and and extricate them from any power that they need to be who the church is called to be. There it is. And no jubilee, no 50. Acts 2 and 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Peter 2 and 11, abstain, he says, from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We live in a world where everybody's pointing fingers and blaming other people. If they would do this, if they would change, if we could get them on the same page, they're the enemy. They're the devil. There's the devil. Everybody's got a devil. Okay. Blue flame Christianity doesn't resort to fifth grade recess. Pick a fight with people who don't agree with you. Blue flame Christianity loves people, discerns, doesn't accept, holds their ground, but loves, and yields a different result than basically what's going on in this world today. You yield a different result because you go about it a different way, the way of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness He didn't protect, the Spirit of God did not protect Jesus from the wilderness. He led him into it. There's a lot of wilderness out there. You used to live in it. Don't you think the people out there want the Spirit of God to lead some of us to them and minister to their wounds? As long as we say we are the ones to do that. If our musicians and vocalists would come up, please. Let's not miss the point. Major on minor things. Let's not do that. I believe I was brought here 13 years ago to primarily do one thing, and I have yet to do it. Well, the 40 days are up. The first message I ever gave in this church I said, if this church wants to thrive, we're going to have to have open Bibles, open minds, open to new doctrine, open doors to anybody. 
and our future would be wide open together. And the result would be heaven would open and pour out upon this church of blessings there's not room enough to contain. First time I came here, there were 79 people. And for the 79 people that were here, there was 179 that were mad at them for some reason. I have no idea why. In a budget, about a half a million dollars. They're throwing tokens at missionaries around the world who were coming home in droves. We opened that Bible and we started planting the seeds, sowing the seed, sowing the seed, sowing the seed. Try to take care of each other, try to expand beyond the church. There have been years we've given almost $3 million in this church, which means nothing if it's not invested in the right soil around the world, which it is. But the reason I came here is to take each and every one of us, myself included, and marry us up into a reflection like a mirror, the Word of God, and come away having to say, I need to make a change in my open mind and my open heart to see that the Spirit of God has a more active role in my life. I need to put aside small things and invite him in a fresher and newer way into my life. If you're ever called to do that, I hope you have patience because it is a long road. But we're near the end of it. And it's time now to focus on the major, which is the person of the spirit, the counselor. That's why you see people being healed around here in ways that they never were healed before. The spirit of God's gonna apprehend this church. Only if this church is together and is apprehendable. Are you apprehendable? Can you be arrested? Can you become a prisoner of Christ? Can you be bound to him? Can you walk in obedience to him? Can you follow him in the morning to sunset? Are you willing to be overwhelmed? Are you willing to set down whatever it was someone told you that bared absolutely no fruit your entire Christian life? And are you ready now to receive the possibility of something that has nothing to do with speaking in another language and everything to do with reaching this lost and dying world? If you focus on the Word and you focus on Christ and you bring up the Holy Spirit, oh, the combination is insurmountable. It's overwhelming because it yields love. And guess what? Love is undefeated. Love never fails. The communicants would come up, please. We're going to come to this precious, simple, clear, mysterious supper. When the people at Pentecost finally left Jerusalem after seeing all that they had seen at Pentecost, they went back to their synagogues. They were God-fearing Jews, the Bible says. They went way back all over Asia, Europe, North Africa. They went back to their synagogues. They started telling people what happened. You won't believe what we saw. 
You won't believe what we heard. Oh my gosh, we heard our own language. They got so zealous for Christ that the Jews in the synagogue kicked them out. They had no church anymore. They had to start building churches. Started the church building movement. They had to stand outside the synagogue and ask to get in. Jesus says this in Revelation 3 and 20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice, open the door and let me in. I will sup with him. What he's really saying is, I know you were persecuted. I know you were killed. I know the Pentecostal experience that you had led to your demise. Some of you, your torture. Some of you, your imprisonment. And some of you, your death. And you stood at your own church and they wouldn't let you in. He says, I too stand at the church. Visualize it, even at this moment. Jesus, right out there at the threshold of this church, knocking on the door. Who would let him in? Anyone who's less concerned about themselves and more concerned about the next generation, current generation, and the world out there that's perishing. How will we do that? I don't know, but we'll do it best if we have the forgiveness of sins and we have a fresh understanding that we are forgiven and cleansed because then our conscience is clear and we can speak for him, not be ashamed of him or us. If we can take this bread and realize that we're wounded ourselves, but we still qualify to be the soldiers he's called us to be by grace through faith. Let this mean something to you. You're going to partake of the broken body of Jesus Christ and acknowledge your own woundedness today and not shrink from it. But use it as an invitation to the infilling of the Spirit today, tomorrow, and throughout your life. And this blood, oh, this blood that washes all our sins away. My greatest fear in my life is that I'll lose sight of the power of sin. That it'll become too casual. When that happens, so too does the cross. So too does the death. So too does the resurrection. And so too does Pentecost. You're a sinner. I'll never forget that. Because when you do, there are many things you don't need anymore. I need this blood today, and I need this body that I can leave here anew. May you come with the same veracity, tenacity and veracity. Find the station of the men and women before you. Humbly come. Take the bread and dip it in the cup. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus Christ, the eternal covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen.